Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2020 horror film Night House, directed by David Bruckner, written by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, and starring Rebecca Hall, Sarah Goldberg, and Evan Janikit. In this film, a woman begins to notice mysterious things around her house after the sudden death of her husband. If you're new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a brief spoiler-free discussion up front. We'll just talk about the background of the film, and then we'll dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Brian, looking at releases for this year, I feel like this was one of the ones that has been more hyped up than others. Uh, would you agree? I agree. When I saw this trailer, this is one of the real rare trailers I feel like I actually saw because I was like, this looks more thriller than horror. I'll watch it. And I wasn't excited about it. I didn't think this was going to be a big deal. And then quite a bit of buzz started to build around it after the release. It was talked about a lot on our Discord server. And uh, I'm glad we're finally getting around to it. Yeah. yeah and I've seen it pop up in like some of these year-end uh, review lists as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it did kind of have like a brief theatrical run, right? It did, yeah. I think it had the normal length theatrical run. It was released in theaters uh, August 2021 and then to digital October 2021. Okay, got it. So it's a 2020 movie because it was screened at a film festival in 2020 and that's Sundance, Sundance in 2020, but the release was withheld until 2021. And and still, I, I don't get the impression that it was a wide release. Like I, I know, like the local theater, like the independent ones uh, around here had them, but I'm, I'm not sure if like it went to the AMC's or the Regals. Uh, do, do, do you know if it was a, a a wide release or not? I believe it was a wide release, but maybe just not a super wide release. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just an everyday one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just normal wide. Yeah, small wide. Yeah, and for pretty modest return, it made about fifteen point two million. Uh, no numbers on the budget, but it doesn't seem like a very high budget film uh, to to begin with. It's kind of kind of a low budget one, right? Yeah, it's a pretty small movie. I mean, it seems a bit more grandiose than it is, just because the house is really beautiful and stuff. Um, they did need to build some of the house on a soundstage, so that probably amped up the cost a bit, but it was a pretty contained movie. Most of it took place in the house. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Like, the production on this, uh, seems, like, pretty, uh, good, and, uh, yeah, your, your cast is so small, I think you only have, like, three to five main actors in this. Right, so, right. So, uh, it, it is a pretty, uh, small scope. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm curious what that budget number is, but yeah, it c- couldn't have been huge. Yeah, right, right. But uh, you do have, uh, I, I feel like Rebecca Hall uh, is like a pretty serious and, and like big scale actress. Like she was in Godzilla vs. Kong, the, or King Kong, uh, The Town, The Awakening. Like, it, it, did you recognize her from other stuff? I didn't recognize her. I hadn't really even heard that name. I didn't realize she was so prolific. But yeah, she was in uh, a bunch of stuff. She yeah. was nominated for a Golden Globe for uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. She's been in The Prestige, Frost Nixon. Right. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, been around for a while. Impressive. She also so, directed her first feature film this year called Passing. Cool. Is that a horror film by any chance? No, it's not. I think it is based on a 1929 novel about two sisters, and I think it has something to do with race, uh, the term passing being if your skin's light enough to pass for a white person. Oh, yeah, right, um, right. 
I my wife actually recommended that one movie night that her and I were having. We didn't end up watching it, but if I had known it was Rebecca Hall, I would have been a little bit more on board. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's crazy. She's been around for a while. I, I think she's English, right? Yes. Yeah. Pretty pretty serious uh, actress. Uh, so it's cool to see her like kind of in the lead role because I think she has been in a number of movies, but she's one of those uh, faces or characters that I I don't know like maybe slips into the background more often than not or isn't someone you remember right off the bat. But sure. it's cool to see her get the the time she deserves here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's on screen a large chunk of time. Yeah. Um, hey, genre wise, before we jump into the the director and stuff, uh, what, what would you call this? Like a haunted house movie, supernatural? What, what do you think? Yeah, it is a supernatural. It's it is basically a haunted house movie, but there's also a lot of psychological elements and a bit of mystery as well. Yeah, not unusual about, to blend in and weave in throughout a haunted house movie, but sure. Uh, how how about some uh, grief? Like, what, what did we call that? Was it, it wasn't grief porn? Was it? Was that the term? Misery porn. Oh, misery porn. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think of it as that. Mm, okay. Do you? Okay. Uh, I think a little bit, but yeah, I think in the interpretation of this, we'll, we'll discuss yeah. uh, what the role of that was there. Sure, yeah, we, them, there might be some spoilers necessary in that discussion, so I'd like to, uh, I'd like to go into that more in detail, but we'll do that on the back end of the show. Sounds good. Uh, this director, I, we're familiar with him, David Bruckner. Uh, I think we both saw the Ritual, which I remember liking fondly. Did Did you like that one? Yeah, we both did like that fondly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we did that as a test episode before we started the podcast, and we both enjoyed it. Yeah, and then uh, his his VHS uh, segment, Amateur Hour or whatever, uh, that, that was one of the ones that jumped out to me. Do you, do you remember that one? I do remember that one. Yeah, I believe it's called Amateur Night. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, Amateur Night. And yep. speaking of segments from um, anthologies that stood out to me, he directed the Southbound segment called The Accident. Do you remember that one? No, which one's that? Is that where they go to the hospital? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a good one. That wow. one was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I think he made uh, Amateur Night into a full movie called Siren. I-, I haven't seen that. Have you? I haven't, no. And he didn't direct that, but he was a producer on it. Oh, uh, okay, okay. He's he's had a busy year. I think he was also a producer for uh, No One Gets Out Alive, which came out this year, and then VHS 94. And then it sounds like he's doing the new Hellraiser, which do you know when that's coming out? Yeah, I don't know when it's coming out, but he directed the new installment of it for Hulu, and uh, filming is wrapped on it, so oh, I'm not cool. sure it'll be too far away. And actually, that was written by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski as well. Oh, okay. Same writing scene. That's great. Yeah. Uh, wow, cool. That, that's coming straight to Hulu? That's not going to theaters? Correct. Straight to Hulu. And, and then we discussed this recently as well, but unrelated, but yet related, there's also a Hellraiser TV series in the works from HBO. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember we just talked about that. Who, we talked about that in Halloween Kills because David Gordon Green is directing the pilot and some subsequent episodes of that. Oh, right. That's that guy. Okay. Okay. Wow. Man, Hellraiser's really getting a, a comeback. Everything's coming up, Hellraiser. Yeah. Damn. Uh, I've, I think I've only seen one of those. Have you seen more in that series? I haven't, but I think it'd be a nice time to examine some other ones in anticipation of these I probably won't watch the show, but in, in anticipation of the Hulu movie, at least. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And there's going to be a lady pinhead in the Hulu movie. Oh, hey, that's exciting. Something yeah. different. Sure. Uh, cool. Um, and then uh, Sarah Goldberg, I think, was the other main in this, and uh, I, I recognized her from Barry. You ever, you ever watched that show? No, I've never seen that. Uh, that's a pretty good, uh, I think it's on HBO. Yeah, it's it, a good HBO show. Yeah, it the, looks d- good. Yeah, you recognize her from anywhere else? 
she looked a little bit familiar, but I can't say I did. Okay. All right. Well, that's all the background I had. Do you have anything else on this one? <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of info either. There's not too much out there, but uh, did you say the Rotten Tomatoes score? Oh, was it in the 80s or something? Yeah, critic score is 86 and the users are 69. Ah, okay. And the music is by Ben Lovett, who did The Signal and The Ritual, and we talked about him on the I Trap the Devil episode. Yeah, cool to see him popping up again. I I like his uh, music for sure. Yeah, same, same. And actually, he's from Asheville. Oh, he's the one that's from Asheville? Yeah, I think that's why we went into a little bit more depth on him than usual in the I Trap the Devil episode. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's he, his his work. I feel like stands out. Uh, it's it's got a good. He's he's got a good uh, style. I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, yeah. If there's nothing else, do you want me to hit the Ohio connection? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. All right. Our Ohio connection, as always, comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. So swing by for a beer and some food if you're in the area. And Alex says. The Nighthouse is a psychological horror film about a widow who discovers a dark secret about the house her late architect husband built. It stars Rebecca Hall, Evan Jonagheet, Stacey Martin, and Sarah Goldberg in the role of Claire. Until 2018, Goldberg had primarily been working in stage productions while also securing bit parts in 2008's The Dark Knight Rises. That's probably where I recognize her from and didn't realize it. And TV's Elementary. Her profile changed when she was cast as Sally Reed in the HBO series Barry, for which she earned a Primetime Emmy nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. Barry is a dark comedy series starring Bill Hader as a hitman who travels to L.A. to kill someone, but finds himself joining an acting class. In the series, Barry is from Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. That's awesome. (laughs) I forgot that he put all that in his connection. Yeah. Oh, man. Good, Good one. I wonder if he watches that show. Uh, you should check it out. It's, it's, it's a good kind of like a dark comedy about, about like a hitman going around. I should check that out. I enjoy dark comedies and I really like Bill Hader. Bill Hader is great. Yeah. He's yeah, just, he can do no wrong. I know. <laughs> he's, he's great. All right. Well, uh, do you want to jump to the plot, hit some spoilers and get into our review? Let's do it. All right. Hey, but we do, uh, before we do, is, is it okay if we take a quick break? I, I think you hear my uh, favorite song playing on the radio downstairs. Just want to go check it out. Yeah, you better go rock out. No, right, cool. no way to just play your favorite song whenever you want to these days. So hurry, hurry up, man. <laughs> All right, I'll be right back. Thanks. Hey Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, did you rock out for a while? I did, man. Yeah, it's it's, it's such a pleasure when when uh, the radio plays your song. Uh, I, I have this tendency to take off all my clothes and stand uh, in the yard naked every time they play uh, "Africa" by Toto. That that's kind of my jam. <laughs> you, you got a song that makes you do that? Uh, what song doesn't make me do that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you got a small yard. I imagine you're pretty exposed out there. Yeah, no trees, unfortunately. <laughs> How is this a reference to the movie? Um, <laughs> isn't there a part where the dude's like bug naked uh, outside when the, when the music's playing? Oh yeah, right, right. Okay, okay, sure. It works. You see, I'll you see it. a butt. All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, so yeah, th- this movie starts off introdu- introducing us to the main character Beth. 
who is this woman who's become recently widowed. Uh, we learn that her husband recently shot himself in the head, and Beth is now alone in this house that he had built, and it's right on this lake. Uh, the first night that she's in the house alone, she hears this knock on the door. There's no one there. But we also see a reflection of this head that's turning in the glass uh, to stare at her. But um, it turns out to just be shadows. The next day, she sees some footsteps on the pier and uh, she hears a gunshot in the distance. What did you think of all this uh, setup and in the introduction of the character here? I thought it was pretty intriguing. I, I think she is really likable right off the bat and relatable um and there's just really good cinematography the whole thing feels really well made that kind of sets it apart from other movies with a similar setup right yeah i I think they captured like that house really well like the lighting of it and each room and like as she's going through it and i think the little thing she does like throws away like the the food that she was given at the funeral that like uh, to your point uh like make you like her character a bit more and how she's like watching like videos and stuff of her late husband, like you kind of buy into her right away. Agreed, agreed. And um, one element of the movie that stuck out to me, this term I learned a few years ago called a life layer. It was in an interview with a set designer or production designer from Stranger Things where mm-hmm. you kind of just like make the house or the setting look lived in, like put a yeah. coffee pot with a little bit of coffee in it out like it's been there a while, like strew some mail about the space. But basically... Like, you don't want it to look like a model home. You want it to look like people live in it. And it just... Oh, sure. They really did a good job with that. It just all felt really real to me. It just made... Yeah. It, like, enhanced her character somehow. It sounds like a little thing, but it just made her feel so much more real. Like... Right. You you understood all the more about her just by seeing the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it didn't feel like staged at all, which is really realistic. And uh, yeah, even as like like her husband's things are like kind of still out too, and like really subtly the camera points towards those. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it feels like like the funeral just happened. This person just died. Everything just feels very real and like it just happened. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and the one other thing, uh, I, I like that, like, 10 minutes in, we're already getting, like, a nighttime uh, kind of scare scene, and, and that visual of, like, the head kind of turning in the window, like, it, it's it's not, like, in your face, but it's, like, you have to kind of look for it, uh, and it's, like, very subtle, but uh, I, I I thought that was a pretty effective scare. Agreed. I, I like their, uh, their mode of scares in this movie. They use a lot of negative space. It rem- reminded me of the, yeah. orig- the Invisible Man in that sense. Right. Right, yeah, yeah. You're kind of like looking at, uh, looking for things in, in the dark and in the shadows. Exactly. Cool. Uh, so the next few nights, uh, we see some like more bizarre things happening. The radio turns on by itself at night, uh, and she gets a text from her dead husband's phone telling her to come downstairs, and then she calls it, and she hears a voice telling her to look outside, and she looks out there and uh, sees him naked uh, in the water just standing there. So she's getting pretty creeped out. But each of these, you know, she's kind of thinking might be a dream because she wakes up from them. Uh, so she confides in, like, some of her coworkers about this, uh, that, like, she thinks she's seen ghosts. We also learned that as a teenager, Beth uh, had been in this car accident that had left her dead for four minutes. And the one thing that she never told anyone except her husband is that uh, death just felt like nothing. Like, there wasn't, like, a light or anything that she saw. She just saw nothing. Is that is that your understanding of it? That was my takeaway from that exchange as well. Yeah, right. And then we, we also get... Uh, we, we find out that her husband did leave her a note when he killed himself, and all it said was that um, there is nothing coming after you. You're safe now. 
Uh, and so she thinks maybe he was kind of talking about how she told him about that that nothingness. Um, so, so kind of mysterious, we still don't really understand. And, and you can tell she's kind of dealing with the mystery still of, like, you know, why did her husband kill herself? And it, I, I like how they paint... Um, the distance between them, like how she's left with all these questions about, like she didn't even know like they had a gun. Um, she's like finding like random pictures of women on his phone. Uh, so and, and, and like her friends are telling her like don't go down this rabbit hole, but um, she kind of can't help herself and she keeps kind of diving in there. I felt like that was like a really real portrayal of someone who's like left with uh, like an absence and trying to like figure out clues or, or answer questions. What, what did you think of all that? I agree. I think your mind naturally would want to try to solve the answers, like, yeah, or solve the problem and get the answers. I think even in like a very simple situation, like if a person you're in a relationship ghosts you or something, you wouldn't just be like, oh, well, whatever. Like you'd want to get to the bottom of it and know every possible thing. Like even in a breakup, you pick someone's brain so much that like, it feels like if your mind can figure out what went wrong, somehow things would be better. So I could totally see that if you lost someone in this way and it was totally seemingly unprovoked and unpredicted, you'd want to like go down this wormhole and find as much as you can, a rabbit hole rather. Exactly. Um, So I thought that was, that made a lot of sense for her character. And one thing that made her all the more relatable and just kind of real and fleshed out as a character was kind of the unhinged way she was handling it. She oh, was yeah. strangely upfront and direct with people and kind of uncharismatic. She's really awkward and direct about all the details about the, the tragedy. Yeah. Um, getting drunk a lot and stuff like that. So Yeah, getting drunk it, like every night. <laughs> yeah, it could have made her seem obnoxious. And had they gone too far with it, frankly, probably if there was a a performer in this role who wasn't as good at it as Rebecca Hall, like it could have become obnoxious and yeah. taken you out of the movie. But... She finds a way to be so relatable without the character just being like panderingly likable. You know what I, I mean? They're not really like bending over backwards to say, here's this person, here's why you should like her. You just get to know her. Yeah, yeah. You get to know her and you kind of sympathize with her and uh, really good about like showing that grief. I mean, that, that dialogue, the whole conversation that happens at that bar with like her coworkers, it's just like, you're right. Like she's like really awkward and kind of confrontational at points, talking about like seeing ghosts and stuff. But um, kind of like you can tell, like there's something really bothering her, and she's just kind of like unhinged, like as you would expect someone in that position to be. So just like such a, a real like performance and like kind of raw almost. Is, is yeah, it and impressive. it really hits on something too. When it's almost kind of a commentary on how we deal with horrible tragedies like that. Like, mm-hmm. do we pussyfoot around it? Do we feel the need to not say anything? Do we expect the victim to? keep a certain decorum and politeness about it yeah like aren't they allowed to be blunt about the horrible thing that happened to them um, right. without it being considered rude conversation um yeah so it's, it's it's interesting in general it brings up a lot of other topics and themes it does and you feel like that nervousness uh of, of like those questions with the with her coworkers that she's sitting down with like you can tell like they're all kind of uh, you know, yeah, off, but like, or like they, they don't know, like, kind of, is it safe to ask these questions or not, or how, how deep should we go into this? Uh, so yeah, the, it's, they, I think that that scene really like shows that delicate, uh, and like not knowing how, how to go about having those conversations. Yeah, so no one's really, really presented well as the good guy or the bad guy or the right and wrong or wrong in conversations, even the very small side characters. It's just people dealing with a thing and figuring out what the best way to do it is. Right, right, yeah, really real. 
so one night she wakes up and uh, th- you know there's a lot of noise and and a voice is telling her to get onto this boat. Uh, so she gets on the boat and it takes her across the lake towards some lights. Which uh, when she gets there, she finds it's the opposite version of her house and she sees uh, like images of like women running past her towards that house and then they're in the house windows and she opens the door to the house. And she wakes up from this dream where she had found that house. So the next day she wanders over there. Um, She doesn't find that house, but she finds an unfinished version of the house. And when she confronts her neighbor about it, she finds out that her husband had brought uh, another woman to this unfinished house in the woods. And the neighbor had promised uh, not to uh, tell on on him. Um, What what, what were you thinking at this point? Like, were you suspicious of the husband, of the neighbor, of, of anything? Yeah, I didn't really have a great guess about it all. I was suspicious of the neighbor. It's clear that the husband is up to something. You don't quite know what. It hasn't all come together yet. And I didn't really have... I started to get a little bit of an idea of what was happening because she does find a notebook with his architecture notes and images of the reverse house and notes on how to trick it and... Um, various things like that that kind of made her believe she was or made the viewer believe he was trying to trick some sort of ghost or entity Um, and then you know the woman the women at some point she admits that they all look like her so it starts to come together in my mind a little bit but I couldn't quite tell what yeah, yeah, I think the, like certain fragments, uh, things that have been uh, mentioned here and there. So yeah, yeah like yeah, one of the things she finds is like this notebook with the, all the house sketches, and it, it's got the reverse image and some mazes that are meant to uh, draw against something. I I couldn't tie that though to like a, a spirit or like a demon or anything, but you, you already kind of got the sense that he's talking about like keeping away some uh, ev- evil spirit. I got the sense that that was what it was about, and I'm glad they didn't name a specific demon or anything like that. I get kind of annoyed when movies do that. Like, <laughs> I think Sinister is a movie that kind of ruined itself by going that far. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And then you got to give the demon like its own history, and it, yeah. it's just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, like, okay, here we go again. So I'm glad yeah. they didn't feel the need to check those boxes and spell it all out for us. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, aloof here. Um and then uh, she covers, yeah, the, the photos of, of, she finds a bunch of photos of women on his phone and they all kind of look like her. She tracks one down to this local bookstore uh, where her husband had gone to to kind of like look at these books around, about like, uh, I think witchcraft or, or some other things. Yeah, some and, sort of occult stuff. Oh, yeah, occult stuff, right. And uh, this woman confides to her that, like, yeah, uh, she knew her husband and uh, her husband had brought this woman over to the house and they had made out. But then after they were making out, uh, the husband had like tried to maybe uh, strangle her, but then stopped uh, when she felt worried about it. Um, what I, I didn't understand the story because like she seemed pretty calm about like telling the story about how uh, Beth's husband tried to strangle her. I think the, that woman interpreted it as some sort of freaky sex stuff. Like, oh, I want to be a little bit rough. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. All right, so it wasn't clear to her, like her life was in danger or anything. Yeah. Okay. I don't. That's not the way I interpret it. At least I think she just thought he was into some weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So yeah, Beth believes her and, and believes like they didn't sleep together, but she's now like trying to figure out like what her husband was doing with that unfinished house. Why like why was he bringing all these women back uh, and and looking into the occult? Um, we come to our final night. Beth wanders over in the middle of the night to the unfinished house, and this time uh, she finds dead bodies buried uh, underneath the floorboards. Um, she runs back home, takes a shower, and is confronted by an invisible ghost that she mistakes she mistakenly thinks is her late husband. They embrace, and you kind of see like the ghost caressing her. But then, uh, when she says, uh, when she calls her husband's name, Owen, the ghost uh, tells her that um, it isn't her husband, and throws her into the mirror. She starts running through the house, seeing these visions of her late husband in each room, and he's murdering all these other women. Um, what did you think about this whole sequence as it's building up? I thought it was a pretty well executed sequence, a fitting conclusion. Yeah, How about you? yeah. Uh, I liked it. I liked how it was amping up. I mean, we we get a lot a lot of her and like kind of just seeing things and like uh, something kind of feeling her, and then um, I guess like it all kind of comes to fruition when she comes into this room, uh, like a living room, and the fire's going on, and she sees her husband's body there, and he's you know in, in his living form, and uh, he explains to Beth that um, it's not her husband; it's this evil spirit that has been haunting her husband and trying to get the husband to kill Beth all these years. And it turns out years ago when Beth had died for like a few minutes and claimed to have seen nothing, that this nothingness was that spirit now that was haunting her husband and now haunting her to get uh, back at Beth or something. Is, is that how you would explain it? Yeah, basically he wanted Beth back. Like death was, she cheated death and death wanted her back kind of. And it and wanted her back in the, the game was to terrorize Owen and try to convince him and persuade him to kill Beth. And Owen was trying to trick the devil by killing all these other women instead. Yes, right. In a, a house with similar features uh, and women that looked like Beth. <laughs> by the way, I, I had like an oh shit moment when he was like, no, I'm not Owen. Oh, like, in the bathroom? Yeah, yeah. It sounds kind of silly, but I was like, oh. Yeah, you're right. And the, the whole time you are like hearing that voice, you are thinking it's like Owen like kind of coming back and haunting her. But uh, yeah, th- that point, it, it, that is kind of like a good turning point where even she realizes like the, the scare is real. Because the right. whole time she thinks she's just kind of like chasing Owen's ghost. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of where, uh, I'm mean, like, that, that's a pretty abstract thought, right? Like, so, uh, when you die, like she had seen nothing and now nothing is coming after her through her husband, uh, and her husband thinks they can trick nothing by killing other people. Uh, like, I mean, you, you don't think this all sounds a little bit convoluted? <laughs> it does. I don't know that this guy could necessarily be the stand-in for nothing. Like, I don't know that this demon is nothing. Yeah. Um, I think it's just some entity that was there when she died. I don't know. I don't know if it's a demon or the devil or who knows. Maybe it is just, like, the vast, the, like, personification of the vast nothingness that is there when you die. But it is pretty abstract. It's a little open. Um, And I... What goes as far as to say it's perhaps a little bit silly? Oh, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see it being so, like, you're, you're being chased by nothing. And then, yeah, just get to the end of this movie, um, the spirit uh, tries to possess Beth and uh, makes her get into this boat with the gun uh, and get ready to kill herself just like her husband did. But fortunately, her friend shows up, pulls her out of the boat, and the movie ends with Beth staring at the boat and her and the neighbors saying, uh, acknowledging that there's nothing there. But nothing now is like a capital N nothing, right? Where like nothing has become like this personification of something that was after them, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I hear you. Like the the demon in this is nothing. To your point, it could, it could be like an actual demon. But I, I do think the movie was leaning into the abstract of like nothing being like that depression maybe that, that filled her after like her fake or like her, her short death and how like that kind of spread to her husband and led him to do that stuff. And now like her feeling that loss, now that feeling of nothing is kind of like chasing her. So yeah, I, I kind of got the sense that they were making nothing out to be like a, a villain that like comes uh, to people who have like these voids in them and kind of haunts them. But I don't know, do, do you feel like it was like open-ended where like it could have been a demon? Good point, man. That, that's intriguing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it is a little bit open-ended, at least. It is to me. I didn't quite understand what the entity was. Right. <laughs> I know. I know. And it, and it's it's so goofy to be like that. That end. Like they're just looking at it like blank space and acknowledging there's nothing there. But that can mean so many things now. Based yeah. On what and I mean seen. the blank space. To, there is an outline there of the of the the guy like a human. What? You didn't what? see really? that? God damn it! No. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Ah, I gotta go see that. There, there was an out. I, oh man! Shit. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you want to re-record where you pretend that there is a person there and that you knew it the yeah. whole time? Exactly. Yeah, I know. Ah, I gotta go watch that scene again. Uh, yeah, I I literally just saw a boat rocking with with nothing on it. But uh, yeah, so there was a, a vague outline there. Okay, and the ghost throughout the whole movie is like a vague outline, right? Like it's always like a shadow of like something that looks like a face is turning, but it turns out to be nothing. Yeah, yeah, and a couple times they do a good job of making it look like, making you, the viewer, think maybe she's just imagining things because they make the profile of his face, like, the same as the profile of a post in her basement or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. it's like when your mind plays tricks on you and you think you see something, they weave that into the setting very well. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. That was really cool. I mean, that wasn't digital. I mean, it was done digitally to an extent, but that profile of the... The post really did look did look like a man's face, so that was yeah. cool that they came up with that. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. What what what, what do you think about like the other scares, like the like hearing the voice or like on the phone or how the music would turn on? Like, did any of those scary scenes or like how she was possessed at the end? Uh, did those feel like uh, authentic to you? Yeah, I actually thought it was pretty cool. I thought the phone, the texting, and the phone call was pretty creepy. The voice was fairly creepy. It was all really stereotypical stuff like this is nothing really new here aside from some slight twists and variations but i think it's just because it was so engaging the cinematography was so well done like the framing was really precise the set design like we talked about and her anchoring the whole thing as a believable character and like giving a very human performance it just kind of made anything that was stereotypical kind of like I was able to just kind of brush it off my shoulder throughout the viewing experience and be very engaged in the movie despite some supernatural tropes. 
Um, I think another thing that helped with that is that it showed a lot of restraint. Like there's a lot of opportunities for a scare, a jump scare that they walked right by. Like there's probably a hundred moments where in any other movie we would have seen something, but we didn't hear. Um, so yeah, it was kind of prude with its jump scares, uh, which I think all in all made the movie more engaging, made the mystery more compelling too, because it wasn't kind of, you weren't distracted by all this haunted house jumpy stuff. Um, the ending itself was a little bit disappointing because it really just does become pretty supernatural tropey, even though we've never seen this exact thing before. It's not too big of a jump to, to blow my mind or anything, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, with, with, with the possession, uh, I, I hear you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so much of this movie rests on her performance, and she brings like an originality to it that takes like what might have been a, a rehash story um, into like a, a much different dimension. And uh, I mean, to me, like, and, and why I think this might fall into the grief and misery porn is most of this, like 90, 90 to 95% of this movie is just her like by herself uh, like going through this house, like kind of like digging through his stuff. So I feel like it's really the story of a woman kind of grieving the loss of her husband and trying to like understand the reasons why and connecting it to her own depression and, uh, you know, like the, the feelings about death and stuff. So I, I just feel like it was a, a journey like inward into her. And, and so I feel like the end, while like it does kind of play out uh, kind of tropey and like this kind of final third act, like a haunting that's like possessing her and like kind of contorting her body and pulling her into this uh, possession state where she's about to kill herself, it still kind of feels like something unique because um, I'm still not sure how much of it was real or it was just like a mental illness that was like, uh, or not even mental illness, but just like the trauma that was uh, she was going through and experiencing and her own thoughts of like ending her life after losing her, her husband. So I kind of feel like it played uh, the line pretty well. But uh, I think it, it did get cheap at times where like, like the, the whole exposition of like where she finds her husband's body and it's the entity and it like tells her like, oh, the, the, like kind of explains everything. Uh, that, that part, I, I, I don't know, like that... Um, I, that might have been like too much uh, story, like too much explaining or something. Did, did you feel like that at all? Yeah, I mean, you get to a point where you kind of, if you're gonna go that far with the the premise and what the conclusion actually is, you have to explain it to the viewer. Well, maybe not, <laughs> yeah. maybe not. But um, yeah, I guess if you want to know why, then that's the explanation. I did. Yeah. I didn't love that part. I didn't. It kind of stopped being creepy to me when he's just sitting there, naked on the couch, explaining things to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that took the wind out of its sails. Also, the concept itself is there's some really intriguing stuff in here that never really comes to fruition. Like his design book with the reverse house built on right. the other side of the lake. And she sees that in her dream, but when she goes to the house, it's just this like it's just <laughs> the framing, you know what I mean? It's not a finished yeah. product with tarps hanging everywhere. Yeah. And I was just kind of like well, like I yeah. maybe it was a budget, a budgetary constraint, or just that's the way they wanted to do it. If he had built a full house on the other side of the lake, maybe yeah, it like what happened to all those circles, right? And then yeah, <laughs> I mean, also then how do you keep that a secret that you've built a house on a property across the yeah. lake when no none of the residents know? Like you would have had to have yeah. permits and construction trucks in and out of there, but right. I would have liked to have actually seen a fleshed out house like built in reverse and something more 
following through on that thread where he was trying to trick the demon. Like all he did mm-hmm. was bring ha- women that look kind of like Beth to an unfinished house. Like <laughs> what? How would that trick the demon? Like it was. I yeah. don't know. There was. I'm sounding so down on this movie. I really liked it. I thought the journey was so much fun. And as you said, her performance is everything in this movie. Yeah. Um, but the ending itself and, and the premise underlying the whole thing, it's like somehow a bit trite and unoriginal, but also doesn't follow through on the actually original parts that it uh, throws out there. Right, um, right. With this mirror image stuff. And it doesn't yeah. play with the mirror image concept enough. Like it, mm-hmm. the, the trailer and stuff and some of the advertising, it's just really cool to think about especially on a lake where the lake reflects everything from the sky back you know it's like a mirror image of the sky just the concept of a mirror image of another house existing across the lake is really intriguing but they just don't take that far enough to me i know that yeah that is shocking that it's only you only see that one time in the dream and otherwise it's just like a really shoddy like unfinished place that uh yeah, it doesn't like kind of live up that to that visual. So, so most of like the mirroring, I think, uh, is happening. What like you, you see like different versions of the moon, right? Like there's a normal color one and then like a red moon that you sometimes see next to each other. Um, I, I think they try to play up the duality at certain points, but um, yeah, they could have definitely taken that further. Yeah, or farther. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, but that, 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 that's also, uh, you know, like those scenes that we see at the end where, um, she's being dragged through the house by something and she's seeing in each room, her husband killing other women. Um, where was that happening then? Was that happening in that house or in the unfinished house? Cause the unfinished house didn't have any rooms like that. Right. Yeah. I assume she's seeing it happen in the unfinished house and maybe she sees the realization of what that house should have been oh, once it was okay. complete. I see. Yeah. In in your mind, why do you think the husband killed himself? Um, do you think it was just out of like exasperation that like whatever he do he was doing wasn't working, or uh, do you think the entity or whatever made him kill himself? I think he thought eventually he would fail and he would actually kill Beth, and he was probably having trouble living with the shame the, with the fact that he was a murderer. Yeah, um, I'm I'm guessing he probably didn't want to kill more people and didn't want to risk actually killing Beth, so he just stopped it all. Got it. Yeah. Um, do you? It's feel also like... impressive that he was so cheery around her, and she still thought <laughs> nothing was ever wrong with him. Meanwhile, he was being tormented by this entity and, and killing women. Killing women. I know that's insane. That's the next level. That's pretty wild. I guess. It, um, I mean, they frame it as a way where it's just like he loved her so much he didn't want her to die that he like sent other women in her place. Um, yeah. Not that she was like ever has a moment where she's like oh his acts of love but yeah i almost feel like it's a pre- presented in a way that he was plagued too and, and not to demonize him but yeah um i know yeah that, that i don't feel like they went deep enough in that part because yeah they kind of like because you're, you're kind of set up thinking he's like a terrible dude he's like been bringing women over to this place but then like yeah it's like oh he was doing it because he was trying to save her or whatever but, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily like that. That's pretty messed up. And I kind of wish the film had gone into some more sequences of him, like luring women over and killing them. Cause I feel like that would have been pretty scary, uh, to show some of that, but maybe it would have pulled off the narrative though. Uh, yeah. I do like think it would have taken away from the narrative of her, her journey. Her journey and yeah, I think, uh, the subgenre 
the term grief horror has been thrown around uh, over the past few years. And I guess this could fall into grief horror. My own personal definition, when it goes into like misery porn territory, and sorry if I sound like a broken record, everybody, but I think the characters have to start off miserable. Halfway through, something even worse happens, and they're more miserable, and then it ends badly. It's an unhappy ending. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, she she starts off pretty miserable in this one, right? Well, there I guess there is a... a it starts off she's miserable because she lost somebody, but there are memories of a happier, happier time, right? Like, oh. it's not so bleak that nothing was ever good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't call this movie bleak, I guess. Yeah. Um, the, the pacing and everything keeps it feeling pretty. And, like, you get a lot of good daytime shots, and the house is, like, really bright and, like, a lot of windows and stuff, so it gives it a good good feel. And you could interpret nothing. Things happen throughout the movie to pique her interest, but don't necessarily make her more miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ending could be seen as happy. Yeah, like some kind of release. Like she's confronted this thing and she comes out alive. They leave it ambiguous yeah. that maybe it's still always going to plague her, but maybe she could right. just continue to fight her depression or the voice of this thing and and live a happy life. Right. Right. Yeah, with, and with she's smiling and laughing with friends that she has healthy relationships with. Like it's not entirely depressing throughout. Yeah, sure. We, oh, you mean at the bar? Well, at the bar, I mean those those are kind of friends. Seem like low level friends, but Claire. I mean, she's got Claire as yeah. a bestie who's super supportive. One line I love from Claire is after one interaction with Best, she goes, "I can't tell if you're being serious," and that's just. I felt like that personally with Beth sometimes. Yeah. It was just a cool way to uh, sum up the character for us. Again, just making Beth more real as a character and uh, right. kind of emphasizing her uniqueness. She's not the typical hero. She's not the typical scream queen. She's just a person. I, I really dug that. Yeah, me too. They really made her unique. I, I, I like that. She wasn't like typecast at all. This yeah. was really good. Agreed. Yeah, you think a lot of that was her bringing that uh, interpretation of the character in, or do you think a lot of that was, like, the script? I think a lot was this... I mean, I think the script did a good job, but I think her performance could not be understated. Like, I don't think you could say enough good things about her performance, and for as much as I've griped a bit about this movie, I'm going to give it a good score, and she's pretty much why. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. She, she's she's uh, front and center here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did uh, and then um, yeah. Did any of the other cast members stand out? Like I wasn't a huge fan of her husband Owen, who we see in certain scenes, mostly as like I guess a ghost. But uh, I I don't know if uh, I felt like his scenes were really necessary. Did you? Not a fan of his butt. No, it was. I mean, actually, it was you know a decent profile and everything, but a little too uh, blocky for your taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little too too much meat on that. Well, what, what did you think? Uh, yeah, no, no other performances s- stood out to me. I thought Claire was really good, but not like, wow, she's steal. Nobody else had the opportunity to really steal the show. This was yeah, this was Rebecca Hall all, all the way through. Um, right. Everyone else was fine. Yeah, yeah. And going back to your other point, I mean, I, I like that these guys uh, stayed away from jump scares. Like the, they definitely took a high road here and made it more subtle scares. Made use of the empty space and shadows that you're seeing. Uh, that, that just felt really cool to have a movie uh, work like that. Yeah, and I actually liked those kind of scenes better than when things were happening. Like the scares themselves ended up being pretty heavy on visual effects, just because of the nature of the scares, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I think the movie's strength is is in what it didn't show. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and all exactly. the time that it spent building tension and, and letting us play Where's Waldo looking through the space wondering if we were going to see something. Yeah, yeah. Damn, I got to go see that last scene again. That's, <laughs> I can't believe I missed that. All right, so, well, uh, anything else or do you want to jump to the score? Let's jump to the score. All right, well, uh, how many dead bodies under the floorboards would you give this one? i give it four dead bodies under the floorboards. Cool. Her performance, cinematography... Restraint of the film; those are the three elements that really carried the weight for me. It made the whole viewing experience enjoyable, even though at the end I was kind of left with some open questions and feeling like some things weren't done in a way that I would have preferred. And it's easy to expound on those things and talk all about them, but in in the end, I really enjoyed my viewing experience. How about you? Yeah, you know, I I think I ended it at like a three and a half, but uh, after like kind of dwelling on it for a while. I think I would, I would bump it up to a four as well. Um, and like just to add to like kind of what you said, I mean, I, th- I think those three, four things are amazing. Music was also really well done. Um, but uh, I, you know, the, the abstractness of the story and like how many different levels it works on is like kind of a good thing and a bad thing. So on, on one level, like as a straightforward story, it's kind of uh, confusing. And like at the end, you're kind of left with like a WTF moment. Like what was this all about? But then when you start to reflect on it, there are like a few layers to it. So um, I, f- I always feel kind of like uh, uh, mixed on like um, those kind of movies because I feel like they should work at like a basic level and then be able to tear it apart for like uh, other meaning. But this one, I feel like uh, the, the the real stone of it was like uh, maybe like what it could, w- what the uh, villain or whatever represented at, a, at like a, an emotional level. So um, I don't know. I, I, I struggle sometimes with, with those movies that have uh, like mixed messages like that. Do you, you, ever, you ever struggle with that? Yeah, sure. I can see what you mean. Yeah, I, I think that's a totally fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it was a pretty smart film and, and really well produced. So yeah, I'd go with four as well. So it was I, well done. I agree. I think uh, the script maybe wasn't the strongest in terms of like, I think maybe the premise itself just wasn't the strongest, but I think it was directed well by uh, by David Bruckner. Yeah, yeah. Well directed. Um, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, really, really well executed by... Uh, by uh, Rebecca Hall. Yeah, I think the dialogue too was a strong element of the script. It's just the yeah. uh, even maybe the way the story unfolds is good. I think it's just the uh, the core concept that that right. really rubs us the wrong way. Right, right, yeah. And the lack you, of uh, really nailing home some of the stuff they kind of hint at. Yeah, like with yeah, the exactly. mirrored architecture and stuff. Did you understand the the symbol uh, of or like the what the meaning of that one uh, relic that she finds is like the the statue with like the thorns going through it? I did not understand that. No. Um, okay. I appreciated the appearance of it, and it looked kind of creepy and voodooish. It didn't look like your typical witch's totem type thing you'd find there in any other horror movie, even though that's kind of a trope unto itself. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked cool, but again, it's another thing where it's just. Uh, didn't didn't see totally how it fit in. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, there's so much like kind of left uh, to the unknown here and ideas that aren't finished out. But um, I don't know. So sometimes that's cool. Sometimes it kind of like leaves more to the imagination. I guess it's a fine mm-hmm. line. Yeah, I mean, when you get into really out there supernatural premises, you get in, you box yourself into this corner where you either have to explain things and run the yeah. risk of it being exposition heavy and losing some of its magic or you have to keep things really vague which could possibly just leave people scratching their heads at the end of the film and feeling frustrated 
in this one you feel like went the vague route? I think it was a little bit of both. I think mostly it was a bit too clear on what was happening with this demon and coming back for. Yeah. Um, but the trickery and that that um, totem thing she found, those are two things that are just like, yeah, head scratchers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, o- sure. Open unknowns at the end of the movie. Maybe somebody sure. else gets them and we, and we just are missing them, but... Yeah, well, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear other people's interpretations. So if, if you have uh, other thoughts on this movie or explanations for it, uh, let us know. Shoot us an email. Hit us up. Yeah, where else was that guy sitting and we didn't realize it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which guy? The, was there the, an outline on the toilet when she walks by the bathroom <laughs> and we missed it? <laughs> I'm always looking out for those. When I He's a stand-up it. wiper and we didn't even notice? <laughs> a sit-down fear, a stand-up wiper. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anything else you want to add here? That's all I got, I think. All right, cool. Well, that's it for our discussion on The Night House. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show. And we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We also have a Discord server where we're chatting up with some other listeners and horror fans. You can find that link on our website. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're about to get dirty with an invisible entity, make sure you check for some ID up up front before assuming it's uh, the the loved one that you're expecting. (laughs) It's kind of awkward when they hold up that invisible ID. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. good. Thanks. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> kind of looks like you. <laughs>